Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. Today is Monday, November 27th. It's our weekly roundup of state government and political news on both sides of the state line. And today, we're less than one year away from the 2024 elections as the political landscapes take shape that will determine the future of abortion, taxes, education, and more in both Kansas and Missouri. What will we be watching in these 12 months? Who needs to define themselves? Who has something to lose? And where will the most meaningful battles be waged? In a few minutes, we'll get to next year's crowded Missouri ballot, but we start in Kansas. It's an off year for statewide elections, of course. Even the state's two U.S. Senate seats aren't up this year. But Kansas City area voters will still have some decisions to make. I spoke with Dylan Lyson, lead political reporter for the Kansas News Service, about the key congressional races, starting with the 3rd District, which includes all of Johnson County and part of Wyandotte and Miami counties and beyond, where Democratic Representative Sharice Davids will be seeking her fourth term. So there's three Republicans who are uh, running for the chance to face her in November. Um, We have Dr. Prasant Reddy of Lenexa, who uh, moved to the U.S. from India when he was a child. And he's also a former military officer for the Air Force. Um, And then we also have Karen Cernkovich of Overland Park, who's a small business owner. And we also have Jonathan Westbrook of Kansas City, Kansas, who is a uh, police officer for KCK. They both, they all three would be uh, a very different face than uh, Amanda Adkins, who who faced uh, Sharice Davids before. Right. Yeah, it would be a different challenger for Sharice Davids, who has seen Amanda Adkins twice. But they are focusing on a lot of the same issues, you know, uh, securing the border um, at the southern border um, for uh, immigration issues, as well as um, drugs uh, crossing the border and, you know, focusing on small business and uh, um, strengthening uh, law enforcement. All right. Well, let's move out to the second district, which got a lot safer for Republicans with the last redistricting. Does Republican Jake LaTurner face a challenge? Yes, he. There's two Democrats running in that race, but it appears uh, one has uh, more been publicly running. His name's Eli Woody, um, from also from Kansas City, Kansas. Although he's formerly from Topeka, he grew up in Topeka. Um, he's a former teacher and now works for um, the National Debate and Speech Association. But he says he's an everyday Kansan who wants to represent everyday working class Kansans that he thinks uh, Jake LaTurner has uh, not really been representing. Um, and he thinks LaTurner kind of focuses too much on hot button issues like immigration and, you know, attacking Democratic President Joe Biden. I want to ask you, Dylan, while U.S. Senate races and statewide offices won't be on the ballot next year, the legislature is uh, all of the House, half of the Senate on the ballot. You can expect that campaign to be playing out over the course of the next year, I imagine. Do Democrats have a realistic hope of breaking the Republican supermajority in either chamber? Uh, Well, they definitely have a better chance in the Kansas House. I think they're only one uh, seat away or maybe two. Um, But uh, it'll be very difficult in the Senate where they're several seats away. But, um, you know, what you're going to see is probably a lot of uh, issues that will be brought up during the legislative session here in the spring, that will probably be the focus uh, of the election in um, the fall. So one of those issues is cutting taxes. Republicans want to um, make big 
uh, tax cuts because there's the state will have a 2.8 billion dollar budget surplus to play with. So cutting taxes and giving that money back to Kansas is a big uh, Republican focus. But for uh, Democrats, specifically Laura Kelly, um, she's focusing on Medicaid expansion again. She's done it every year, but it seems like this year she wants to really use that to try to convince people to elect more Democrats uh, next fall, because that's what they're going to need if they're ever going to expand Medicaid. And it is extremely popular among Kansans, uh, more, I think, close to, if not more than 70% of Kansans support expanding Medicaid. That was Dylan Lyson with, I think, his final interview as lead political reporter for the Kansas News Service. Don't worry, though, he's not going anywhere. He starts today in the important role of social services reporter for KNS. Congrats, Dylan, on the new gig. We'll be hearing a lot more from you soon. We'll move over to Missouri when Kansas City Today continues. Kansas City Today podcast is supported by City Year. City Year places AmeriCorps mentors in public schools to support students academically and socially so they can reach their full potential. Learn more at cityyear.org slash Kansas City. The 2024 elections on the Missouri side will tell us a lot about the future of politics in the state, especially of the Republican Party, where several high-profile GOP primaries in August will pick the overwhelming favorites to win statewide office in November. I spoke with St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jason Rosenbaum about those races, but we started at the top of the ticket where Democrats hope to unseat U.S. Senator Josh Hawley. I asked Jason whether the Republican has anything to worry about. Democrats have a geography problem where they're doing very well in places like Kansas City and St. Louis and some of the inner ring suburbs, but are getting crushed uh, basically everywhere else in the rural and exurban areas. I think that Democrats have a little bit more optimism about this race because of Holly's controversialness, especially how he acted on January 6th. But if if Democrats nationally do not target Missouri, which means don't pour in a lot of outside money or organization because they don't think it's winnable, it's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, for whoever gets the nomination in August. And while we're a long way from the filing deadlines, that Democratic nomination battle seems to be shaping up between attorney Lucas Kuntz and state Senator Carla May. How do you see that race playing out? If it remains a two-way race between Lucas Kuntz and Senator May, Kuntz has such a huge fundraising advantage right now. Um, He's actually been outraising Holly in some quarters uh, based off of his based off of just his campaign account alone, I don't even think he has a political action committee. Yeah. So unless the people that do not want Kuntz to get the nomination coalesce around May and help her with fundraising and organization and endorsements, Kuntz is probably going to be the favorite in that primary. The only the only hesitation I have is that. Um, she is very well liked among a lot of a lot of people within the legislature, which could provide her with some institutional support. 
So certain Republican races will be the main focus between now and that August primary. Uh, None seems more likely to be contentious than the gubernatorial contest between Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft, and State Senator Bill Eigel. Jason, what are the key differences that GOP voters are trying to decide between in that Republican governor's race? I think that they are deciding whether they want to have essentially what they've had for the last five or six years with Governor Mike Parson by electing Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe, or whether they want to go in a more rightward direction with either Ashcroft or Eigel. Um, Kehoe has really been the fundraising leader by a pretty wide margin over both Ashcroft and Eigel. And he's been able to get the endorsement of a lot of prominent organizations and also uh, legislators. I think, though, the conventional wisdom is Ashcroft has a natural advantage just because he has name recognition. His dad is former governor, U.S. Senator, uh, U.S. Attorney General John Ashcroft. And it's just seen that Ashcroft is just generally more conservative than Kehoe, which is not a bad thing to have during uh, a, a Republican primary. What I think is giving people a lot of pause, though, is Eigel has been able to attract large crowds to a lot of his rallies. He does have enough money, I think, to run a credible campaign. I don't think he has the name recognition of either Kehoe or Ashcroft, and he's certainly not well-liked among a lot of institutional elements of the Republican Party. Moving on to Attorney General, uh, Andrew Bailey has certainly not shied away from political controversy since that Republican was appointed to that office less than a year ago. He wants to hold on to it. Do you think he will, Jason? Well, he is facing a very difficult challenge from Will Scharf, who is a former high-level staffer in the former Governor Greitens administration. He is also a former federal prosecutor. Usually, if you are in a statewide office that is not governor, you usually have a natural advantage over somebody that is either primarying you or or running against you in the general election. The reason why I don't think people are saying that Bailey is a shoo-in is because Scharf has just an ability to channel money into his campaign that I think is really unmatched. He is also tying himself to Donald Trump by actually being an attorney in a a case involving a, a gag order in one of his trials. Um, and I think that uh, Bailey has not done things that have made a lot of Republicans universally happy. I, I've talked to a lot of Republicans who were very annoyed that he issued these emergency rules that would have essentially barred gender affirming care for transgender adults when the messaging for legislative Republicans was about protecting children. And and doing that really took legislators off message and forced them to answer questions they frankly didn't want to be fielding. Whether that whether that really is enough, though, to you know, have him lose a primary, I think, remains to be seen. Let's talk about legislative races, Jason. Republicans, as we all know, have a supermajority in the state House and Senate. Democrats did make some modest gains in 2022. How do they hope to expand their role in state government in 2024? I think that they are hoping to gain seats in the House, which I think has it has some possibilities to it, just because there were Democrats that ran in 2022 that lost by a narrow margin to Republicans who are probably going to be running again and having more uh, name ID and support. As far as the Senate goes, uh, the last couple of election cycles have been status quo, where 
like I think there's been zero change in the in the composition. Um, there is a general consensus that whoever wins the Democratic primary in uh, the 19th district seat, which now only includes Boone County, uh, that is going to flip from Republican to Democrat. But I think that that gain could be wiped out by uh, the fact that uh, Senator John Rizzo's seat in uh, Kansas City and Independence has been redrawn to become much more Republican. And it's not out of the realm of possibility. It could just be status quo in the Senate. The, the, the bottom line, though, is it's going to be Republican regardless. I, I think that if the Republicans retain the governorship, I think that their margins in the legislature are, are less important than if, say, a Democrat wins the governorship. Before I let you go, Jason, last week, at least one of the battles over ballot language for abortion rights measures seemed to come to an end as the Missouri Supreme Court declined to hear Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft's appeal. That means supporters can get to work now collecting signatures. Assuming one or more of those measures makes the ballot, Jason, what impact would that have on the rest of the election landscape? I think it depends on, A, whether any of these proposals get enough signatures by by next May, which is kind of an open question right now. And B, when these initiatives are actually put on the ballot. Right now, there's open talk about putting any abortion legalization measure on the August ballot as a means to deprive Democrats of a turnout bump and also place it before an electorate, which may be more Republican than the general election cycle, since we've kind of already established there's a lot of really high profile Republican primaries. The problem with doing that, though, is it kind of makes the strategy among some legislative Republicans of putting something on the August ballot that would raise the threshold to pass constitutional amendments and then hoping that passes and then any abortion initiative in November would require like 57 percent or 60 percent of the vote or a certain amount of House districts to pass. You can't you can't really go through with that strategy if you put any abortion measure on the August ballot. I don't know which one they're going to do, but I think we got to see if any of these initiatives actually get enough signatures first before we, we see what the Republican game plan is. That was Jason Rosenbaum of St. Louis Public Radio with that statewide Missouri roundup. Rest assured, we'll have plenty of coverage of Kansas City area congressional races as well in the 343 days between now and the general election. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. Be sure to stay current on all the latest news from Kansas City's NPR station online at kcur.org. And if you do enjoy what you're hearing, be sure to leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Back in 1948, black families in Johnson County got fed up with the quality of education at a two-room schoolhouse. So they started their own school in living rooms. We fixed it up as near as a classroom as we could. I thought it was great. How a lengthy school boycott and six very brave children led to the integration of a Kansas grade school 
five years before Brown v. Board. Check it out on the podcast of People's History of Kansas City.